This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, welcome to the Red Box Podcast and the Times. I'm Matt Jolly, joined by Ruth Davidson, the leader of the Scottish Conservatives. Previous life in the media, a reputation for straight talking and defying both polls and pundits and big on Twitter. Ruth Davidson, are you Britain's Donald Trump? <laughs> I hope not. I'd like to think I've got at least better hair than him. Uh, and I would like to think a few better ideas as well. So uh, what did you, what was your reaction? Uh, where, where were you? What were you doing when you saw the results coming through from America? Do you know, I'm, I've always been a bit of a, a sort of Yankeephile. I uh, love the state. Um, did part of my degree in American history. I've been over and back, and, and I'm, I'm knocking off all 50 slowly but surely. How many have you um, done? I'm up in. I'm up past the first dozen anyway, so I'm, I'm getting okay. on and up there. But. Um, it's the first time since, I think, 1992 that I've not stayed up all through the night. So I usually, growing up as a teenager, I would stay up right the way through until the results were called. And I'd also, most years, stay up for the State of the Union address as well. So, um, so yeah, proper geek. Um, and this year I didn't. I, I ended up going to bed. So I woke up, I don't know, maybe about four, and was a bit like, ooh, that wasn't quite what the script was. So did you go to bed thinking that Hillary was going to win? Uh, do you know... Particularly in Scotland, particularly um, given the, the period we've had up until the, the very recent past, um, we have got large experiences in Scotland of shy voters not telling pollsters which way they're going to vote if they think that there's going to be a judgment on them. And I could see how he could have a path to victory. I, d- I didn't believe any of the kind of um, you know the pundits saying there's there's no way that there's he's got the electoral college numbers and, and things like that. I could see it, but I, I'm not sure I actually believed it. Sometimes I look at the telly in the last week and I'm still not sure I actually believe it, if I'm honest. But, um, but there we go. But one can only hope that he's a, a different President Trump to candidate Trump. And do you, there's already a bit of that happening already. Yeah. You know, he's, soft, he's now talking about reforming Obamacare rather than repealing it and it might be a fence, not a wall. Do you think in reality that that sort of populist style of politics which he pursued is going to come crashing up against reality? Well, I'd, I'd like to think so. Um, I'd also like to think that we could get to a point in the world where actually that kind of populism, where there's no real attempt to give the figures that underpin things, there's no real attempt to do anything other than play to the mob, we can get past that. And I think that that requires some pretty serious leadership, actually, for people to both defend the gains that globalisation have created in terms of living standards, in terms of health standards around the world, in terms of so much, but also the idea that 
the reason that people are attracted to countries like America and Britain is because of the liberal values that we've espoused and the fact that you have freedoms here that you don't have in other countries. Uh, and it does take leadership for people to stand up and fight for those. So, you know, we've maybe had a bit of a malaise in the last um, wee while that this kind of post-war settlement that, that we'd all kind of agreed on in many senses is now being challenged in a way that we never expected it to be challenged. And those of us who believe in it uh, and believe in those values have an absolute duty to go out there and start selling them again and, and explaining to people how their life benefits and the life of their neighbours benefits because of them. How important or difficult do you think it is the way that politics seems to have changed in the last two, three, four, five years where campaigns are fought on people saying things that they essentially know not to be true? Where, you know, we saw it in Brexit, we saw it in the US. Do you think that you can get that genie back in the bottle? But I think it's sad, and I think it's sad for two reasons. One, because there will be inevitably people who are therefore disappointed that folk turn around and say, oh, well, we didn't really mean it, or, you know, or it's somebody else's fault that we're not going to make this happen, when it was clear from the outset that there was no real uh, intent to do so. But I, I think the second reason for which it's sad is that it further degrades this idea of politics of the role of public service and I still, as old fashioned as it seems, I still believe in politics as a public service and of serving your country and it, and it, it, it can be a destructive cycle and you've got the stories about fake news stories on Facebook and you know there, there is a lack of trust in who to believe and I, I think that does nothing for the body politic, I think it does nothing for society uh, and I think that that makes people distrust so many other areas of public life and that we're all the losers because of it. What do you think the impact of Donald Trump as US President has on Britain? I mean, what have you made of this debate about Nigel Farage being, the, <laughs> being Britain's go-between? I do have to say that I looked at the picture of him and President-elect Trump standing uh, in front of a gold elevator uh, in a gold-plated apartment uh, talking about how they were you know, sticking it to the man on behalf of the common people. I, I, did, I did have a small chuckle to myself at the irony. I, I, I'd be lying if I, I said that wasn't true. But I, in all honesty, I don't think we know how the relationship is going to develop under this presidency yet, because I, judging by his 60 Minutes interview the other night, I think President-elect Trump is um, still deciding himself what his presidency is going to be about and the changes it's going to make, not just to his working life, but, you know, the fact that this kind of isn't a nine-to-five job. You don't get to fly back to Trump Towers at the weekend. You know, you are the man that is on the call 24 hours a day. And what about Nigel Farage? What do you make of him? Um, I've only met him a couple of times. He's, uh... Funny, I have to say, the first time I met him, we were doing our um, question time in Edinburgh, and it was an audience just of 16- and 17-year-olds, and he played to the gallery with his first answer... It fell completely flat, and he basically shut up for the rest of the time. So I think that for all the bravado he puts out in a in a sort of supportive room, when he comes under challenge, actually he's, he's maybe not as uh, as big a man as he likes to think he is. Well, let, let, just staying on Trump for a sec, um, what do you think, given the uncertainty that creates, and we don't really know what Britain's role is in that, Britain has got its own problems, you know, leaving the EU and obviously campaign very hard for us to stay in. Where does that leave Scotland? Because Scotland is in this different place again in that Scotland voted for Remain. Nicola Sturgeon has tried to exploit that by saying that Scotland shouldn't be dragged out of the EU against its will. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make everything that's happening in the world and relate it back to the constitutional affairs of Scotland because I, I think that my uh, opponents try to do that all too much if I'm on, off, 
often, if I'm honest, and often to the detriment of, of domestic policy uh, provision. But I think that if you're looking at some of the upheaval in the world, which a couple of years ago, you know, you wouldn't have seen coming down the road. If you're looking at um, the questions that Brexit raises, if you're looking at uh, the questions that the new presidency raises, you see a whole layer of stability in the world. And I think that there is one thing the SNP could do, which is to take this draft bill on a second independence referendum off the table and to offer people in Scotland you know, a, a bit more stability than they currently have. Because I think adding to that instability is wrong. And I'm, you know, I'm not asking Nicola Sturgeon to stop believing in independence. That's like asking a, a tiger to change its stripes. But just to be able to show the leadership that I think our country needs to say, look, now is a time for us to consolidate what we have, to try and navigate as best we can the eddies and waters of the things that are changing around us. But let's not add instability on top of that. And I think that that would be the right thing for any First Minister of Scotland to do. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm holding out hope that it might happen, but I believe it should happen. Do you think Scots are nervous on both sides of the debate, with Brexit and now with Donald Trump? Well, I mean, I think, again, if you're, if you're talking about those levels of instability, if you're talking about the questions that are being asked uh, and it raises you know significant big questions not just for our country but for others too but none of those questions are answered for me by leaving your biggest market your closest allies your dearest friends and the country that you helped build and that's the united kingdom so you know leaving the european union raises huge amounts of questions and they are, you know, Scotland's second biggest marketplace and all the rest of it. But I don't think you answer those questions by then saying, well, actually, we now also want to leave uh, our own Union of Nations, which is our first biggest marketplace. Uh, I, I just don't see the logic in that. The, what, what do you make of the way that Nicola Stone and the Scottish Government have reacted to Brexit? Because they obviously thought that there was going to be a spike in support yeah. for Scottish independence, and that doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't seem to have happened. It hasn't transpired. And I think what's really interesting, it's not just that there hasn't been a huge spike in support for Scottish independence, but that actually support for another independence referendum has gone down and down and down and down since June, yeah. since that vote in June. We've had plenty of Scotland only polls and it's just it's just showing the trajectories as people just don't want it. Yeah. You know, it's whether they believe in independence or not, they just don't want to go back to that sort of division. They don't want to have you know, I, I think there is now a real argument that the country needs to come back together again in a way that we didn't immediately post twenty fourteen. But but we kind of need to pull together again now because there's so many actors and agents acting upon Scotland with the changes in the world that, that we need to you know stand up with one voice here. And Nicholas Sturgeon is backing this uh, legal challenge to the triggering of Article 50, and there's been a suggestion that Hollywood should vote on that as well. Would you vote in favour of triggering Article 50? Well, the um, issue of the Supreme Court um, appeal. You know, we're pretty relaxed about the fact that the Scottish government has, you know, put their man in the room for, for 20 minutes as part of that, and, and that's really a, a legal issue. And I'm not going to opine yeah. on that because, you know, that that would be uh, silly so to do. But in terms of the way in which we will be leaving the the EU, you know, it was a UK-wide decision. We all knew it was a UK-wide decision. Nicola Sturgeon knew. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. It was a UK-wide decision. That's why she was on a flight to London to take part in UK-wide debates in order to make the argument on one side or the other. Both Nicola and I are disappointed in the result. It's not the one that we voted for. But for me, we are leaving as a UK, and the government and the parliament of the UK is the body under which that is that is moved. But she's talked about the idea of a vote happening in the Scottish Parliament as well. Do you, do you think that will happen? Um, well, that's very much in the hands of the Supreme Court. Like yeah. I say, I'm not about to play on that. But you do, would you vote to trigger Article 50 if that, if that came around? Well, if, if I was an MP yeah. in the House of Commons, um, despite the fact that I didn't agree uh, with the result and I'd, I'd argued on the other side of it, I'm a Democrat. I don't... Yeah. You know, as, as you might have heard in the last couple of years, I don't really believe in just rerunning referenda. If, <laughs> if you don't like the result, Nicola, are you listening? So yeah, so I was, you know, absolutely, I would have to. Um, just while we're, while we're on Brexit and the referendum, how how are relations with Boris? Because they got a bit, they got a bit. You came quite close to calling him a liar a few times during that. I, I that said debate. that the campaign yeah. had disseminated lies. Yeah. Um, let's see if three hundred and fifty million pounds a week goes to the NHS. Let's see if there's a new European army next year and let's see if Turkey joins the EU next year. I might be able to stand by everything that I said. Who knows? Um, But in terms of personal relationships, Boris and I understand that we were on different sides of an argument, but we're on the same side of trying to make sure that the UK advances its uh, ideas in the world, that it advances its trade in the world, and that we're able to raise the quality of life for people at home. You know, we're, we're, we're all on the same side in that. And, you know, Boris is a pretty big boy. He's, uh, I, I don't think he's crying himself to sleep because I took a different view from him in a referendum. Uh, you backed Theresa May, though, as leader. What was it that you, you saw in her that you didn't see in any of the other candidates before they all fell out of the competition? <laughs> I mean, I, I backed Theresa May um, for the Prime Ministership. I thought in my role as um, leader of the party in Scotland, you know, myself and, and Andrew R.T. Davis, the leader in Wales, I have an interesting position within the party. We're very senior in the party, but we're not actually part of the government. So for me, I waited until we got down to the final two before I, I, I publicly declared one way or the other. But I see in uh, Theresa May, I see a strength. I, I see a woman who will take time to come to decisions and I, I think you guys in the media who run 24-hour you know, websites to go along with your newspapers might get frustrated by that but she will take time to come to decision because her MO is that she likes to have all the information available but once that decision is made it will be stuck by so there's no kite flying there's no sort of reversing announcements within 24 hours none of that you know you will you will see a consideration to get to a point also, on a personal level, I like her. You know, I, I trust her judgment. Um, quite apart from her public persona, has a, a self-deprecating humour that I admire. And I think that she will serve our country with every bit of diligence and strength that she has. She, she really cares about doing a good job. 
Um, she doesn't care about you know, capturing a media cycle. She cares about long-term results, and I think that's important. It's, a, it's such a formidable task that she's got to, to take Britain out of the EU. And, you know, she's got a slim majority and a cabinet made up of all uh, sides. Is it actually an impossible job to keep that show on the road, do you think? Or what does well, she need I, to I, do I to sort of impossible. hold together I mean, all those I, pieces? I don't think people should underestimate how big a job it is. I think also, just in terms of her background within um, the policy, the, the portfolios that she's taken, I mean, she's almost wholly been dealing with the domestic and now huge swathes of her time are going to be with the international and that requires a, a recalibration from, from her. But like I say, there's a, a diligence there. She's got a strong team uh, around her. Um, I think that there is a huge sense of goodwill within the Conservative Party to help her yeah. do the job. And, and I, I um, people sometimes joke about her being the adult in the room, but she, she is the adult in the room. You know, she will not care what, as, as funny as it may be, what the Matt cartoon is going to be the next day about <laughs> her if she can get the long-term result that she wants. And I think we'll all be well served by that. Do you think that in trying to control the children, she's got... You know, it's got Boris, Liam Fox and David Davis... No, you're putting words in my mouth. ...sharing... <laughs> you did say that she was the only adult in the room. I didn't say only. Oh, right, she's an adult. <laughs> she, she, she said she was the adult. She said she was the adult. What do you make of that, the dynamic of the three Brexiteers? Obviously, know them all and I've met them individually and during part of this process. I've never actually been in a room with all three of them at the same time, so I, I have no idea how they interact with each other. Um, <laughs> I'm not so sure yeah. they get in a room all together at the same time, very often. <laughs> So you've, you've talked about what a big job it is being Prime Minister. Every time you come to London, we're sitting here now, we can see Big Ben over our shoulder. People ask you about you doing it. Well, it's been an interesting, uh, it's been an interesting progression, because when I first started becoming leader of the party, they all asked, you know, did I, did I want to come to Westminster just to sit on the back benches somewhere? And then did I want to come and do a job? And, and now they're asking if I want to be Prime Minister. So who knows? By the, you know, in the next couple of years when I come down, they might, they might ask if I want to be Queen. Who knows? So. Do you... Uh, <laughs> I have no interest in any of these roles. I'm, you know, I believe in a constitutional monarchy. No, no, no. I, I believe in the line of succession. I've very recently joined the Privy Council, so, you know, I'm going to be actively involved in all of that. So let's hope it's not for many years hence. <laughs> how, how, how have you found being a, joining the Privy Council and all that? Do you like all of that stuff? Um, the, the sort of pomp and circumstance? Do you know, I, I think as much as it's always a pleasure to come and visit your city, Matt, you know, my job, is, my city. In, my jo job is in Scotland. Yeah. Um, you know, the votes that I need to win are in Scotland, the people I need to speak to in order to convert them to win those votes are in Scotland. Um, and, you know, you should come up to me a few times more often because it's, it's pretty interesting I'd up like there. It. It's, it's, yeah, this yeah, politics yeah. is pretty red in tooth and claw. You know, we you, no quarter is asked or given up there. And obviously earlier this year you overtook Labour to become the official opposition in yeah. What difference has that made to both your job but also the, the perception of the Conservatives in Scotland? I think it's made quite a big difference to the perception. I mean, um, for, for many years, uh, post the 1997 wipeout that we had in Scotland, when we lost every single MP in Scotland, it was in the interest of all of the other political parties uh, to keep a narrative going that we were dead and uh, you know, we were never coming back and we were an irrelevance, uh, as well as, in, and many times they tried to make us into a joke. Well, you know, I, I think we've demonstrated a, a level of renewal. We know from the work that we've done ourselves post the election in May, 
that there are many, many more people who would have voted for us if they thought that we were going to overtake Labour and push them into third for the first time in over 60 years. You know, it's an enormous yeah. sea change. Uh, but, but I think the most interesting thing is what's going to happen to the debate in Scotland because for the entire post-devolution era, we've had two soft-left parties scrabbling over soft-left positions. They've not had a level of challenge and discourse and debate. Uh, and I think I can do a real job and my team can do a real job in getting us to, to, to look at that in different ways of doing things. Do you like Nicola Sturgeon? Um, I respect her. Um, we disagree in lots of things. Um, you know, it, politics is, is funny and the way that you relate to your opponents is odd in that um, you're in this kind of constant battle that... Um, while it's tremendously professional, is often made by others to be very personal. It, it also happens out in public, so you get criticised um, and critiqued uh, a lot in relation to whether you're up or they're up and all the rest of it. Um, so it, it, you, I, th I think it is important, and for me anyway, it's important that you try and divorce yourself from, from that sort of personality politics in order to do a more professional job. So, for example, on Thursday when we have First Minister's questions, a day after the Prime Minister's questions, it's our kind of set-piece debate in Parliament too. You know, if I've, if I've given her a proper going over and landed a few blows, you know, suddenly I'm the hero of the hour. If she's fought back the week later, does that mean that, that suddenly I'm, I'm terrible? No, it doesn't, but it, but it all adds to the, the layers of patina that are, yeah. that are there. So, so, no, I respect her. I'd like to think that she respects my abilities too. We don't hang out for pizza and beer or go on holiday together, you know, we don't, you know, throw the high heels over the shoulders and go out for cocktails, but nor would you expect us to. We are trying to achieve very similar goals, which is the best for our country. We just have different ideas on how to achieve it. And to what extent have you, since becoming the leader of the official opposition, changed your sort of approach? Because you actually you've... Well, I haven't ridden any buffaloes lately. Well, I was about to ask you about riding buffaloes and the, <laughs> you know, the headlines about the kickboxing lesbian and you know, all that stuff. I haven't kickboxed in years. I barely bend in the middle. I'm so <laughs> fearless and I don't know if they're aware, but so I've, I've broke my service. back in three places. Yes, so of course. Yeah, I, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I really don't bend anymore. But um, certain newspapers uh, just could not resist, uh, you know, the headline of kickboxing lesbian runs for Tory leader. Um, even though I, I keep putting on the record that I have not kickboxed in years, I, I just box now. <laughs> and, of course, you're getting married next year. Is that right? Fingers crossed, yeah. yeah. We haven't set a date yet, but um, we got engaged in May, um, and uh, so very, very chuffed. feel like I'm becoming a proper grown-up, which is nice. Uh, <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm delighted, genuinely delighted. Well, congratulations. Thank you. We, we made a decision on country, because my partner's Irish, so we were both, both of our families wanted it to be in the other country, so they could all have like a nice weekend away, but um, we're having it in Scotland. So, so you've won. Yeah. Or they have. Oh, they I'm have. Not sure. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure yeah. How that Your is. family have lost. For, um, uh, just for logistical reasons, it's easier to get married in Scotland than Ireland. So um, we'll we'll do that. But we haven't, like I say, we haven't quite set a date yet. But we're looking. Brilliant stuff. Well, congratulations. Thank you, Luke Davis. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 